0: Hello and welcome to Series 2, Episode 5 of the Tea Room Talks podcast, the podcast Breaking the Stigma. Thank you for joining us once again to look further into the topics and questions around mental health. Certainly something that is common when suffering poor mental health is substance abuse and misuse. We are joined today by Anna, who is a substance misuse expert and counsellor. We look into the themes that crop up with substance abuse and often coincides with poor mental health. We look at the impacts within industries, especially construction, and the ways that it needs dealing with to move on in our lives. Let's take a listen to the chat that I had with Anna. So I'm joined with Anna Costello, specialist in mental health and substance misuse and creator of Constructing Wellbeing. Anna, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. So in regards to mental health and your own personal story, please expand on your own journey that you've had with mental health.
1: So I've had um, mental health struggles and I'm kind of of the opinion that everybody at some point or some points in their life will also have mental health issues. I think, you know, mental health is often assumed as a bad thing, but if we look at the definition by the World health organization they define mental health as a state of well-being in which an individual realizes their abilities can cope with the normal stresses of life work productively and fruitfully and can contribute to their community so really mental health is a good thing and then of course things happen and get in the way that we can experience poor mental health and i think kind of mental health like physical health is kind of on a spectrum and um, with physical health we can have a headache there might be something that we need to speak to the GP about, there might be something that we're having treatment for, or there might be a diagnosis that we don't recover from. And I think that mental health is similar. So we all experience fluctuations of mood, anxiety, stress, worry, depression, sadness. And then there's times when those moods become perhaps more prolonged and they affect how we think, feel and behave. They kind of maybe interrupt the things that we previously enjoyed or cause problems in our relationships or we find it harder to get to work. And it's at those times and perhaps we need to do something about it. And then, of course, there's times when we get a diagnosis, kind of medication, a treatment plan or kind of more acutely when we have to stay in a psychiatric hospital, maybe. So for me I had my first experience of counselling when I was at university in my early 20s and I found myself talking and it felt like a magic trick. I was talking and things just seemed to feel better and it kind of it was at that point. I found myself talking about things that had happened much earlier in my life and at that point I thought why has nobody asked me about these things before or given me support with these things before. So I'm a massive advocate for early intervention I think it kind of started with that experience of counselling. Later on in my 20s I was in Australia and I experienced what I now know was panic attacks but at the time I was just kind of feeling an increased heartbeat and I thought I was having a heart attack so I kept taking myself off to the hospital. They said there was nothing wrong. I kind of came away. I had that increased heartbeat and heart pain again I went back to the hospital they sent me away they told me to go to the GP so I went to the GP and he gave me some antidepressants and I didn't take them because I didn't feel like I was depressed I felt like I was having a heart attack the GP hadn't explained to me the nature of anxiety how it can kind of how we can experience it in a real strong physical sensation or why the antidepressants would help. So I didn't take them and I just kind of survived by avoiding things that made me feel uncomfortable, avoided things that made my heartbeat increase and I, in order to stay safe I kind of just tried to stay as close to a hospital as possible. So when I got back I was still kind of experiencing some of these feelings and I remember being on the M62 and I don't know for anybody that doesn't know the M62, it's the motorway that goes across the Pennines and there's a sign at the top that says highest motorway in England. So even that made me panic because I saw the sign, I thought it was high up and then I assumed that help wouldn't be able to get to me and that kind of escalated the panic. So I think, you know, with anxiety, We do kind of need to stop, pause, and maybe get support. I think it's useful to kind of have coping strategies for anxiety, but also to unpick and and think about what's the kind of the origin of the fear that kind of underpins how we're feeling. Later on in life, circumstances or events that happen in our life, they can also lead us to feeling sad. I lost a pregnancy. That made me feel sad. I had time off work and extra counselling. And of course, that kind of experience, it can happen to any one of us or other experiences such as loss can happen at any time. And I think when when those experiences do happen, it really is useful to kind of know that we can talk about them and also other ways that can support
0: us. Yeah, I totally agree. And, you know, thank you so much for being so open there and honest with what's happened to you in the past. You know, it's not an easy topic. We always say it's not an easy topic to talk about and be honest about our feelings. But, you know, from your experiences, there's so many things that talk to me on a personal level where you mentioned escaping what made you feel uncomfortable or uneasy. And, you know, I feel like when I've done that in the past, certainly when I wasn't educated enough to, to know what was going on with my mental health, I found myself, like yourself, so you avoid certain things that perhaps you even used to enjoy and you realise that it's not actually necessarily always the topic that's setting off these um, anxiety episodes or panic attacks. It's just the the poor mental health is almost changing to try and attack you even more that I started to realise that there were certain activities or thoughts that would cause me heightened anxiety and obviously lead to depression but it, then it morphed to it wasn't that thought and it wasn't that subject anymore it was something else because i'd stopped doing that or i'd stopped trying to think so it was just changing all the time and then it was that realization that i was actually suffering and uh it, you know much like yourself it's, it's time to address it you can only run for so long or so it felt and certainly in Your example with university, I'm sure it must be so hard in a student-based area with obviously the, I say the excitement that goes on, but there's obviously a lot of education, there's a lot of socialising and it's easy to put something like mental health at the forefront. Um, of something that's important and needs to be addressed along with your education in regards to getting that right support and I'm sure like a lot of people in education slip through that net as well when they're at a a young age or it's certainly what we've found I'm sure you agree
1: yeah absolutely I think you know having worked in schools and more recently I think that schools even primary schools they're brilliant now compared to the education that I had that really kind of encompass well-being And being able to kind of look after our well-being with many schools having kind of pastoral care in place. Um, And I think that that stigma is dissolving and actually that it is a good thing to talk about things that are going on for us.
0: Yeah, that's that's totally right. And yeah, 100% agree with that. Let's talk about your past experience, obviously, with your work in the past you've worked with the homeless community you're an addiction specialist and obviously counsellor when working in this type of environment and specializing in this area what would you say the common themes that you notice that are often find themselves being the root cause of this you know is it family issues financial lack of support and you know underlining mental health issues or do you think it is often in the, you know, the homeless community or people who are severe addicts, that it's a combination of various themes.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've been lucky enough to work across various settings with individuals and groups and have met many wonderful people along the way. And we're all unique. And what brings us to seek help is always going to be different. There are common themes, especially in homelessness and addiction. But that's not to say that because we're homeless or addicted to a substance that we're going to tick all of these boxes or even some of the boxes and then other settings people are going to present differently so I guess with homelessness well in all settings really to some kind of varying degree I've worked with people that have experienced poor childhood experience which might include abuse whether that's physical neglect emotional sexual abuse I've worked with people that have lived in the cycle of disadvantage themselves and maybe grown up in poverty poor housing lived with parents that maybe have been addicted to substances or gambling themselves maybe children that have witnessed domestic violence counseling in kind of outside of homelessness and addiction people perhaps present because they're aware that something's not quite right with the mental health they're experiencing feelings of anxiety and depression maybe they've noticed things around kind of their, their thinking patterns and helpful thinking and wanted behaviours and they're there because they want to improve their current situation.
0: It's certainly interesting with you know the homeless community there and you know we, we talk about addiction sometimes quite often you know it's not those that are homeless that have severe addictions definitely that it can be anyone that's having mm-hmm. these issues and what I find interesting is you know that substance addiction often coincides with the poor mental health of where someone might be suffering or an underlying condition or something like that and I suppose with the behaviour topics that you must find that it's it's very common perhaps with the way that our minds work and there's often that pathway that it creates perhaps a comfort blanket or a, a common area or a common theme that it's something that feels like a, a safe space but it's actually quite negative. I'm sure in your experience you've, you've noticed various routes that people have gone down almost with addiction that it's it's not treating the main issue that's at play here.
1: Often addiction is just a symptom of something else and and a behaviour that masks the something else and I think kind of childhood experience and what we experience in childhood you know and it can be other childhood traumas separation loss illness in the family bullying identity there is so many things that it could be and as I said we're all unique and our stories are always going to be different as to kind of what's brought us to whether it's homelessness whether it's addiction or whether it's seeking out some support for kind of anxiety and depression. And there's lots of things, even as adults, that kind of affect us. We can be affected by all of those things. Loss of job, money worries, worry about children. The list is endless.
0: Yeah, that's totally right. And, you know, I've had guests yeah. on here before, certainly who have talked about their own problems with anxiety and depression and often the the, the guests that I've had that have mentioned where they've had instances of addiction whether that to be to um, drugs or alcohol often it's it's the blanket that they feel protects them but when they've got out of this habit to then deal with their mental health they realize that much like you say it wasn't necessarily an addiction it was more the placebo effect that they thought that when you drink alcohol or when you take drugs it's um, not making me feel anxious anymore whereas it was almost a yeah a placebo effect on their brain that was making them feel that as long as they take that they won't get depressed they won't feel anxious anymore they won't have panic attacks and much like you say it's very interesting that I totally agree that addiction will be a uh, symptom of what's really going on and, and, and don't get me wrong there are obviously serious mental health conditions and illnesses out there but this is a it's another mask I feel that people put on um, to hide the underlying issue.
1: Yeah no absolutely and that underlying issue yeah if somebody is wanting to reduce their using or to stop then that kind of to do that exploration work is really useful and that's going to encompass so many things even kind of looking at the position in our family our gender our sense of self self self-esteem there's kind of so many things that are so complex aren't we and there's so many pieces to us only if it was easy as kind of you know having a mole removed and once it's gone gone.
0: Yeah, no, I totally agree. It's this yeah, yeah, yeah. many things to it, us that make us tick.
1: Absolutely, and it takes time to go through those layers. I think you know, even kind of when I presented with anxiety. We can see the anxiousness and we can feel the uncomfortableness of it and the sensation, but it does take time to think about what's conditioned that anxiety, what's conditioned my addiction, what what are the things that kind of are underneath the the sea level of the iceberg, so to speak. Just to go back on kind of addiction and mental health, I definitely, you know, which has always been part of my thinking even before I got onto thinking about constructing well-being, but I definitely think that there is a relationship that coexists between mental health and addiction. Now, that's not to say that everybody with a mental health problem is going to become addicted to substances. And equally, there's lots of us that use drugs recreationally or we're drinking more than what is recommended and we don't have problems with our mental health. But there is a crossover. And what you were saying before, that kind of alcohol, drugs, What we know about them is that they are mood altering. We use them because we like the desired effect. Now, it might be recreationally. We like that effect on a Friday night, helps us relax. We might be going out partying, it boosts our confidence. And then what you said before, then there's other times when we like the kind of soothing aspect of that substance, which might be helping to support us with some of those difficult feelings of mental health symptoms such as anxiety depression and then of course when we are on the flip side of that when we are drinking or using drugs then that can also mimic symptoms of mental health so I don't know I think kind of for most recreational drinkers I think the next day they've woken up and felt that kind of anxiety and of course then if we don't use for another few days that anxiety disappears with Kind of the hangover but if we're using on a regular basis those feelings are going to keep returning and as those feelings return then obviously we feel less able to cope we feel might feel more withdrawn or irritable and then that then becomes kind of a more of a mental health problem and then of course if we're using more than we would like to use then we're not going to feel that great about ourselves there's kind of a lot of shame attached to drinking or using substances Maybe people are falling out with us, our partners, our mums, because we're using more. Maybe we're experiencing money worries because we're using more. Maybe we're at risk of losing our job because we're losing more. So that then feeds back into the kind of the mental health side of things. So that relationship, I think, definitely kind of coexists. Not always, but often.
0: Now, you know, tying this in with construction, my background being construction you do often see a lot of members and a lot of workers, tradespeople within the construction industry that have a problem with alcohol, have a problem with drugs. There's obviously problems, numerous problems, of um, substance abuse on building sites and people turning up drunk or drinking while working. It's really common, unfortunately, with the construction industry. Not to say that it's the only industry that struggles, Mm -hmm. but it is a, a top contender. Now, your work... Constructing being what sort of spurred you to create first, if you wouldn't mind telling us a little bit about what sort of spurred you to create it and why you sort of thought that the construction industry was an industry where you really wanted to tackle uh, the problems surrounding mental health?
1: husband who also works in drug and alcohol services came home one night and we don't very often talk about work but this particular evening he kind of mentioned that a foreman from a site in Battersea had contacted their service to look for some drug and alcohol training. There'd been the death of a colleague on the site that um, didn't happen at work but he died of a drug-related death And this foreman recognised that his colleagues needed some well-being support with the loss of their colleague, but also that other people on the site were using and that actually some drug and alcohol training would be um, beneficial. So I didn't do that training, but that actually kind of spurred me on to doing a little bit of research and actually the statistics were fairly shocking so i don't know if you've heard of the considerate Constructors scheme but they have run a couple of spotlight on campaigns and they've done one on mental health and they've done one On drug and alcohol. And they're definitely worth a read. But I've just picked out a few um, statistics that they identified. So, under mental health, two people die from suicide in construction every day. And that's the highest suicide rate, uh, higher suicide rate than any other sector. 52% of workers have experienced suicidal thoughts. And one in four know someone in the sector that has attempted suicide. So that's fairly, you know, fairly high. And then I think with drugs and alcohol, then it becomes even harder to talk about, especially alcohol, because it's legal, because it's something that most people do. And it's kind of generally acceptable. We associate it with having fun. We associate it with Friday nights, weddings, special occasions, that it kind of feels that it should be all right. And then, of course, historically, there's this kind of badge of honour about how much we can drink or a competitive element as to how much we can hold. I think with drugs, there's definitely more of an entrenched stigma around drugs nobody wants to kind of admit to using drugs, whereas kind of with alcohol, it's kind of feels more all right. But again, the Considerate constructor Scheme, you know, they have highlighted some statistics which kind of do show that what you were saying, there is a problem on construction sites with drugs and alcohol. So 59% of people that responded to their survey um, agreed that drugs and alcohol are an issue of concern. 20 to 30% of workplace accidents can be associated with alcohol, and 33% of people at work have admitted to having a hangover, which impacts on their productivity and safety. So yeah, statistics like that, I think something needs to be done. I think, you know, what We're going in terms of swimming upstream. I think, you know, we know that the construction industry is mainly a male dominated environment. We've got that stereotype of strong macho men. I think men are less likely to kind of talk and be open to receiving support. There is stigma around mental health that if we have got poor mental health, that we're not coping or that we're not able to do. Our jobs properly. There's lots of denial around alcohol and even more so around um, drug use. So it's really hard. And then Mind, the Mind Mental Health Charity, they reported that 90 percent of people, if they were ringing their employer to say they were having a day off, 90% 90% of people that were having the day off because of their mental health wouldn't say it was because of their mental health. They would say that they've got tummy ache or headache or whatever it might be. Wow! So don't really have an accurate picture of how badly mental health and even more with substances that are affecting the construction industry. So... I think that there's lots of good things that are happening in the construction industry that changes are being made. The considerate constructor scheme, you know, they do assess on how organisations value their staff, which includes how do they look after their well-being. Um, It does need to be accelerated. My husband's brother, he died on a construction site of an accident, and that is less like. You know, And since then, health and safety procedures have just got so much better. And actually now men in that age group are more likely to die of suicide than an accident. So it is time to do something about well-being. And there's so many benefits to doing so, not only for the individual, but if an individual feels better, then they're better in their relationships outside of work, with their families. It's better for their children and in work if we're supporting somebody and they're coming to to work happy, then they communicate better, they're focused, they're present, they're able to do their job safely. And, you know, for the organisation, you know, people aren't absent, they are there, retention, less dismissals. It's just win, 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 win by supporting wellbeing as far as I'm concerned.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. And, you know, with construction there, my next question was obviously – Based on what you feel that needs addressing, but in theory, there's so many topics that need addressing. You know, we've got the stigma around mental health with men. It's as you say, it's a male-dominated industry. There's the support or lack of support in regards to funding to to get mental health um, support or you know counselling free sessions or things like that, where people might not be able to have their own financial stability. Um, obviously, drug use, alcoholism that surround the construction industry and I think with it being so male dominated it does spawn from this area of not addressing the immediate problem but you know the statistics there that you've said are they're unbelievable and certainly something that I would in the past I've contributed certainly to that 90 percent percentage there because initially when I was struggling my Original employer after when I was an apprentice, I certainly had some annual time off or like I say sick days. However, it was just that my anxiety was just just getting the better of me, and it was just taking over my life now didn't know how to deal with that, and at the time it was much easier to say this, but I did actually come clean. I don't know, maybe after the fifth, sixth time that it happened, because I just felt so guilty that wasn't being honest. However, it wasn't an email easy thing. I didn't ring him and say I had to send him an email. Now, that felt quite embarrassing. So I can see why 90% there where they have not reporting their absence are just going to tell a lie because it's much easier to yeah to create this lie and deal with themselves that day or that week depending on how they're feeling but it's and I'm sure you'll agree with this but it's great to see that now change in employers and workplaces where they're having mental health days that is what a new thing that's been created from this I'm sure you'll agree
1: absolutely it is hard to say yeah that and feeling anxious and feeling depressed we don't want people to think that we can't do our jobs properly or because that can add to our anxiety it's really difficult and i guess you know this isn't going to change overnight this is changing cultures where we can talk about mental health and then bottom up like we were talking before about kind of how schools now are so much better you know these generations that are going to come after us They do find, hopefully they will find it easier to talk about mental health and they will know more how to support their mental health so that people aren't experiencing acute anxiety. But when I was researching kind of constructing well-being, you you couldn't help but observe sites and there was people that I walked past that smelt of alcohol or outside the site having the joint, and there was one time I was on the bus, um, and we were going past a construction site, and this man on the bus was obviously going to work, but he he just kept um tapping his heart, and I, you know, obviously haven't been there myself. I just thought he's having a, an anxiety attack, and just what an awful place to be, and yeah. then you've got to go into work. It's wow. awful anyway, and then. So we do want people going into work happier and coming out happy.
0: No exactly and and much like you say the the physical health is easy to try and address get good sleep you know try and make sure you stretch try and make sure you I don't overwork yourself whereas the mental side is often neglected and much like you say you you want to have and and want to be in tip top condition to work and going back to your point you you made Uh, a minute ago where you've mentioned that you don't want people to feel like you're compromised in regards to your mental health I certainly agree you know doing this podcast is fantastic for myself and I've really enjoyed it however I still feel like I won't you know I wonder what the reception is if my customers every customer knew that I did this podcast because I'd like to think it's a positive thing however I would Because of my, you know, again, like you said, culture and the way that I've thought, I would wonder whether some of them would think that, you know, because of I live with mental health or mental illness, that I'm going to be moping about, I'm not really going to be, heart's not in it, I'm going to be tired, I'm going to be thinking elsewhere. But it's not, it's more, I I live with this condition, I don't suffer from it. Sometimes, okay, maybe I suffer from it, but I live with this condition to, to spread that awareness and spread the knowledge. But much like you say, half of it, if I was to come clean, like in the past about employers, I'd feel embarrassed because I'd worry that they'd think that they'd worry about the work. They wouldn't worry about the person.
1: That's a real shame, isn't it? Because it's the person that just brings so much value to the organisation. And without valuing that person, there is no value in the organisation.
0: Yeah, no, exactly. And the workforce is its strongest link. So going into your work now as, you know, a, a specialist with addiction misuse, and now you obviously do training, what, what what does your work involve and how do you aim to educate people or workplaces that you carry out these um, sort of training days for?
1: So. As I said earlier, you know, I am an advocate for early intervention and being proactive rather than reactive, you know, time and time again in my work, I thought, would this person be seeking help if they'd um, have received support earlier? So whether that is help with their addiction, help with their relationships, help with their kind of self-esteem, help. You know is this person homeless just come out of prison you know could we prevent some of these things happening if we bring interventions earlier so the training that i offer i have always worked with the kind of onus on the individual to take responsibility for their own mental health um and i think you know in the training programs that i offer we think about what is mental health and i think in doing so in that, we're starting to reduce the stigma of a mental health problem. And I think that that's really useful in terms of kind of discussing that with colleagues and then we're better placed to be watching out for each other and kind of checking in with one another. Um, then the kind of training programme then thinks about signs and symptoms of mental health, poor mental health or signs and symptoms. What would we notice if we we're drinking too much or using too much? What would that look like? Um, why are we drinking Uh, too much or using too much or why are we experiencing some of these problems so it's really useful to think about what we were saying in that kind of earlier question about some of the things that underpin how we're feeling so whether that's kind of like life events or things that have happened in the past or money worries children worries whatever that may be so that we're just getting a better understanding because it's with that awareness that we're then better placed to be to do something about it. I think the important part of the training, you know, is about well-being, how can we support our well-being better and, you know, and if we feel all right at the moment, which hopefully the majority of us do, how can we continue to maintain our well-being? Or if something happens, we would then know where to kind of go to to look after ourselves in that event. Um I don't believe that training should finish once the session's finished I have a Facebook page and I think that that anybody can then use which is kind of just signs posts to kind of places that might give somebody more kind of follow on support or kind of where we can kind of go to for further further information. You know, as I said before, you know, if you think about me on the M62, when I was having that panic attack, you know, I wasn't. I, luckily I wasn't driving. I wouldn't be in best placed to be driving that day. My kind of my attention was on my heart, not on the moment. And I, I just think again, with training, with education, with taking that time to value mental health and how to look after our well-being in a work setting, yeah, we are supporting the individual. But again, there's so many organizational benefits to this as well. Because if people are looking after themselves better and feeling better, then again, they're going to be at work, they're going to be present at work, they're going to be communicating better at work. So yeah, it's for me, it's a no-brainer.
0: <laughs> you know, that's fantastic. You know, when when I was an apprentice and you appealing to the construction industry there to train these workplaces, I never once had a training day or training uh talks on mental health we had ones about um discrimination um racism sexism uh obviously we would have uh safety topics working at heights manual handling we never once had one about mental health however that's probably branching on 10 to 7 years ago that's when my apprenticeship was done now i th- i like to think how far things have come that i hear People like yourself who are now hired to go to do these events and, and be a speaker or a trainer in, in these aspects and workplaces are rightly so snapping it up because it's such an important topic much like we've mentioned about the stats already that two people in construction are dying every day from suicide and that's that's staggering really in the grand scheme of things.
1: Yeah, and I read somebody's LinkedIn post, and unfortunately, I can't remember his name, but he was saying that you know, if somebody did die in an accident on site, there would be an investigation, and yet so many workers are dying by suicide. Yeah, and yet, are we paying enough attention? To
0: no, that? that's that's correct, and you know, that I think this is why. It always feeds back into this, you know, this is why I want this to be here as a a service for people to realise that we're trying to change attitudes and train and get people aware really that it's still a topic that um, won't necessarily go away. It just needs to be, you know, as a constant, much like other aspects of safety, it doesn't need to sort of come then go, it just needs to be a constant within workplaces and and training um, to educate those people. So in regards to your final advice for those working perhaps in construction or other sectors who might be aware of people who are perhaps substance abusers or, you know, have an alcohol problem, or, you know, maybe they're dealing with it themselves, what services, whether it be nationwide or locally, do you feel that benefit them the most? And what advice would you give to those that take the steps to either help their colleague friends family or themselves
1: yeah i think you know there's lots of things that we can do to support our to support our well-being but i think the best thing that we can do is connect and what we've talked about is how hard that can be sometimes to say that i'm struggling and i need help and actually you know a further statistic is that 70 percent of men that have died by suicide have never been to discuss their mental health with their gp Wow. So, again, we're just not having as many dis- that, that many discussions. And that's what I like about your podcast. It gives people an opportunity to listen, to have that shared identification and to be encouraged to connect with others. And, of course, if we're educating everybody and then we're better placed to be checking in with people when we notice that they are withdrawn or they're a little bit irritable or whatever it might be so connection and I think kind of hearing something like this podcast yet yeah, it might motivate us to talk to our friends our family you know our colleagues brilliant and then there's times when we need that perhaps a little bit more kind of extra support maybe we need to go to speak to our GP maybe possible discussions around medication I also really like the risk helplines out there that are 24 hours a day that are free we know about the Samaritans Um, shout is also really good what I like about shout is that we don't have to say this is me we can text this is me that reduce removes one of those barriers for asking for help and then um, I know that the lighthouse charity they do a helpline for construction workers and then there's things kind of more local there's if we want support with drug and alcohol there's the AA fellowship the NA fellowship they're kind of peer support group meetings which kind of lots of people use when they are thinking about stopping alcohol drugs there's also the smart recovery they do lots of useful tips and uh, programs to help reduce or stop using the NHS they have a really good website every mind matters and they can again give us well-being techniques or point us into kind of more localised services, whether that's for drugs and alcohol or mental health. You know, there's the IAPT where we um, self-refer for counselling. I think the difficulty is with that is that those appointments are often offered in the daytime when people are at work so again it's not something that we can always access if people are in a position where they can fund their own counselling I would recommend that they go through the BACP which is the governing body so ensuring that the counsellors are appropriately trained and supervised and without wanting to plug my own website or Facebook page I list, you know, a lot of, well, I've got some useful resources on there, which kind of help us look at signs and symptoms of what we would notice if we are struggling with our mental health and what we would notice if we are perhaps drinking or using too much. And also on there is a list of services that I think are good services and that I would happily recommend to somebody that does need to reach out and that would like some extra support or information. There's lots out there. Again, it's just knowing where to go for that.
0: Yeah, exactly that. And, you know, the takeaway, much like you've just mentioned, is to get talking and try and have that confidence to, you know, help your friends, colleagues or yourself to take that plunge and seek these services. Because much like you say, the the services and charities that are out there are just increasing and which is fantastic really to to get those who slip through the net and obviously have these struggles that you know a lot of people do, but unfortunately there's there's people that will always remain quiet, but it's trying to snap those ones up and um, get it in early really before anything can take hold of them. Anna it's been really great to chat to you. Thank you so much for talking to me today. It's been really good, and you know I really hope you've enjoyed our chat today. Thank you so much.
1: No, pleasure and
0: thank you for having me. It's great to see that even topics such as addictions that are hard to treat or hard to deal with, that there are members like Anna who offer their services to combat and help those who require it to, to almost get themselves out or others out of the rut they might be in, is certainly a tough subject and not one to be taken lightly. Often one of the most areas that require the most willpower and support are those with addiction. Anna really showcase some understanding and the underpinning knowledge that is required to really help those people and aid their mental health struggles. It's worth taking a look at the work Constructing well being does. Thank you for joining us again for another week. The links for the episode once again will be in the episode description. I hope you've enjoyed the chat we've had this week and I look forward to next week.